Whistleblower Report, exposing lies, deceptions, and all that has assaulted our way of life. We must take back our freedom and live as God designed in a free America that honors our Constitution and our Creator. Our experts in medicine, ministry, law, military, environment, and education empower us to grow together as a nation. For such a time as this, the Whistleblower Report offers truth and solutions. Welcome to the Whistleblower Report, and this is the Military Report here on America Out Loud Talk Radio Network. This is Dr. Lee for America, and I am here with Major Mike Gary, a 25-year military veteran with 15 years experience in Seaburn specialty, which is chemical, biological, radiological, and nuclear weapons and hazardous materials response training and formerly the commander incident commander for hazmat responses in the national guard so major gary and i are going to talk further today about the east palestine environmental catastrophe and what has unfolded since February 3rd, this is coming up now almost on a month since this train derailment and then followed by the detonation of five rail cars with vinyl chloride belching a toxic plume of a witch's brew of toxic chemicals and gases into the air that has now dispersed over the entire Northeastern United States. One of the components, one of the combustion products of vinyl chloride that has not been discussed enough and certainly is not being tested, not being addressed on the ground is dioxin, one of the most toxic chemical agents known to man. And it is the culprit in the Asian orange health damage to Vietnam veterans and the Vietnamese people and Cambodia and all of the countries involved during the Vietnam War when they were using Agent Orange as a defoliant in the jungle. And the disaster that occurred with that dioxin exposure should be a lesson in why it is so important to address that in the East Palestine, Ohio train derailment and the explosion of the vinyl chloride that produces dioxin as a combustion byproduct. Now, that's a known, that's been known since 1949 when this was first discovered in Germany. And then the U.S. government did white paper on it, summarizing the known toxicity in 1956. So there's no excuse for saying, well, we don't know if dioxin is really there. Yes, we do. We have 70 years of government data on the combustion byproducts of these 
halogenated, chlorinated, for example, hydrocarbons, the aromatic hydrocarbons, and when they are chlorinated or other halogen compounds such as fluorine, bromine, chlorine are added to them, they produce these toxic byproducts. So toxic byproducts are major endocrine disruptors and carcinogens. And that is what I'm as a physician very concerned about. And Major Gary, as a seaburn expert in the military, is very concerned about as well. So we'd like to talk with you more about all of that today with his experience of what should be done, what wasn't done, what makes no sense, what's going on with the cover-up of the real danger the dioxin contamination, and how do we know that this may actually be already causing health problems? So, Major Gary, thank you for joining us again on the Whistleblower Report to talk about all of this. Let's, let's start with wherever you would like our listeners to go with understanding in that first few days of responses. How did that differ from your training and what is normally done in a hazmat accident and exposure like this? Well, thank you, Dr. Vliet. I appreciate it. And I would just like to say right out of the gate that uh, I'm not speaking for the military here. Uh, even though it, I'm drawing from my military experience and responses, especially incident responses, uh, locally in Maine and abroad, I am speaking as a free man with uh, thousands of hours of um, study on my own. And uh, so anyway, I appreciate that question. Um, yeah, to me, when I look at this, uh, what happened here in Ohio, it's it seems to be very confusing. Uh, I start going back. I probably have 70 hours right now looking back on the events, you know, and, uh, you know, February 3rd, which is a Friday is when the train initially derailed, right? And uh, it's confusing to me why this led to the event on um, the 6th where they detonated it. And I keep trying to be unbiased, but at this point, uh, I I am very um, I'm very questioning what happened. So I'm a skeptic at this point, and the listeners should know this. Uh, as I've replayed this and replayed it, right, gone over the events as I know it and the facts as I know them, right. Um, I I come to no other conclusion than this was help, dealt with wrong. And uh, I'm going to try to express some of that to the listeners. I am actually going to uh, explain what I used to do uh, in the, my last position in the teams that I used to direct. Uh, so they get an understanding of hazardous material response or weapons of mass destruction response. And I'll also try to highlight where I think there's people that are better skilled than myself for handling something like this. Uh, so right now, um, I just found... Oh, this morning or last night when I was going back through news uh, articles and uh, watching news releases on WKBN 27 News, which is a local news affiliate there in Ohio, um, 
it was it was filmed on February fourth, which is a Saturday, and I was listening to the journalist um, cover that story. Again, we've only been in at that point less than twenty four hours, and they're doing a report. And that that moment in time, they were reporting that there was no vinyl chloride cars on fire, so there was no uh, toxic substance that was being burnt at that moment. However, some of the pictures uh, or the video that they were showing did show a fire. So based off that, that says to me, if, if their reporting was accurate, there was no vinyl chloride on fire, then maybe the other cars were on fire, okay? So, and that can be easily seen on YouTube for, for the listeners, and I'm sure we can attach the link so they can review that as well. But the uh, reporter actually went and interviewed uh, a guy that I've come to really like and appreciate. Uh, his name is Severio Caggiano. He is a 40-year uh, fire chief with the expertise of hazardous materials response. And uh, so every time I've heard him interviewed, and he's been interviewed many times at this point, um, he supports everything that I'm thinking. Now, again, I have to be, be careful not to be biased, but he, him and I have very similar backgrounds. So I know the way he would act. It would be very similar to the way I would act to a hazardous response. So I take his opinion as very valid, okay? And uh, I can't, anything he said, I've been in total agreement with because I believe him and I would have handled this very similar. So um, I'm going to call him from now on Sill, Chief Sill, uh, just to keep it short and sweet and easy for the listeners. But every time Sill's been interviewed, he's just spoken a lot of t common sense in actual principles that we've learned in hazardous material response. Okay, so now I'm going to go in for the listeners what I used to do. What my expertise in hazardous material response is responding to possible chemical and biological threats, also radiological, but we're just, we'll get into the chemical threat. Okay, with chemical threats, uh, of the most concern is, um, is nerve agents, okay? We have blood agents, uh, mustard agents, but for us, it's always nerve agents are the worst uh, when we respond. So I say when we respond. I've never come across it. However, I'm trained to the hilt with it. I've actually dealt with it in military labs, right? I've actually ha held devices over VX and Sarin in uh, labs that were built to do this type of training. Okay, so yes, I am experienced in a way. It was in a controlled environment. But in the, in the real world responses I've experienced, I have not run into that, obviously. It would be all over the news if we ever had. But taking that into consideration, when I've done an incident response, you know, you always try to, you always assume the worst case scenario, right? So you go in with the most amount of protection. So for the responses I've experienced, most often, they are contained within a facility or a building, all right? So that's important to know. I don't respond the same way like a fireman or fire chief would respond. Quite often, when he responds, his off the fire is off-gassing into the open environment, 
quite often when I respond, it's in a contained facility. So the listeners should uh, take that into consideration. And through this, I'm going to hopefully teach them something. So when, when I've responded before and we sent teams into what we call a hot zone, hot zone meaning it could be laced with a chemical threat, a biological threat, or a radiological threat. So we go in with protection. Quite often, I will send teams in with the highest level of protection, which we call level A protection. It's a fully encapsulated suit uh, with a self-contained breathing apparatus on underneath that. Okay, so when we find the, the threat or the thing that is uh, presented as the threat. And what I want our listeners to understand is that by going through and discussing with you the typical procedures, it helps you understand what was not done during this particular disaster in Ohio. And I want all of you to be thinking about why would they not follow normal hazmat procedures? What, what is the underlying agenda? Why would they risk damage to the citizens, not only of, of East Palestine and Ohio, but that entire region of the country. What could be the motives about the failure of the Biden administration to bring in proper experts with FEMA? What could be the motive for directing the governor of Ohio to detonate five rail cars of vinyl chloride, knowing the toxicity, and then describe it to the public as a controlled burn. America, you know full well that when you explode a tank, a rail car containing a highly flammable chemical, that is no more a controlled burn than flying to the moon. That is a massive dispersal. It's the opposite of a control burn. Control burns, which they keep on reporting it as a control burn in the media, which is a flagrant lie. Control burns are used to control forest fires, and they are controlled. But in this case, detonating the rail cars creating a toxic plume that looked like from all the pictures that were taken by witnesses on the ground looked like a nuclear explosion. Clearly, there's another intention there and you have to start asking the common sense question, why would they disperse it and make it worse than it already was? So back with us is our Seaburn expert to comment on my asking the questions that every common sense person should be asking. Yeah, so that's the thing I can't figure out is why, why would you make this worse by uh, essentially spreading this all out? I mean, somebody like Sill as a, as a hazmat fire chief 
would know that you don't make this situation worse by setting it on fire and off-gassing all these byproducts. And uh, in my field specifically, when we uh, would do a sample and then come back out of a hut zone, we would leave the hut zone as much as possible in the hut zone. We wouldn't spread it out. So if you can mitigate a situation, you mitigate it. For, for the, what I was talking about in my specific field, quite often you mitigate a situation by closing doors to the facility and shutting windows or putting uh, a trash can or, or another container over what you suspect is a, is a dangerous chemical threat or biological threat. In this situation, you would have contained and mitigated by keeping the tanks cool in moving them in in offloading product and in fact i've seen uh chief sill talk about this oh probably like a week week and a half after the uh the detonation as they're calling a controlled detonation so this is the logical conclusion that i've come to is why did they do this it makes no sense nowhere else if you look at hazardous response can you find this happening like this now sometimes a situation gets out of hand and there's no there's no way around it but why would you intentionally punch the tanks as they call it so that's that definitely needs to be looked in one of the things that that i found quite puzzling was the degree to which fema did not respond. The Biden administration did not respond. And the fact that directions were given that were contrary to normal hazmat procedures of containment. So I think the people of East Palestine, Ohio, and that whole region around there into Pennsylvania and the Northeast really need to be taking strong action at the local level, pressuring local government to do more detailed testing and to address the question specifically about the presence of dioxin. There are many ways that sampling can be done to address that question. So Major Gary, what are some of the um, sampling methods that need to be done that still have not been done. They talk about testing, but they're not testing for the dioxins, the known byproducts of combustion of these halogenated hydrocarbons, such as were on that rail, uh, the rail cars. Very good question. So there's monitoring and then there's sampling, right? So I came across a uh, YouTube of a interagency meeting that was held yesterday. I believe it's the first one where they actually have FEMA Region 5 meeting with EPA Region 5. Okay. And they were talking about, you know, the difference between monitoring and sampling. The state of Ohio has a perfect sampling plan. It's based in right, right in one of their nuclear facilities. Uh, the Perry uh, nuclear facility is the closest, where if there was a meltdown of that facility, it would spread you know, radiological contamination across the, the state based on prevailing winds. That is something that could be taken and adapted to uh, 
you know, East Palestine, Ohio. And it's not that far away. It's like an hour, hour and a half north. That would be perfect as a backbone to start your on-ground sampling. Now, the key here is dioxin is a persistent chemical. And it's going to uh, persist for a while. So it may not off-gas. And their identification, uh, excuse me, their monitoring devices may not pick up uh, this off gas from dioxin. That, and again, I'm not as familiar with dioxin, but I am very familiar with persistent nerve agents. And like VX, does not off gas or throw volatile organic compounds. Um, like sarin nerve gas would sarin oh my goodness uh, a monitoring device i'll pick it up immediately but vx i gotta actually hold the device rather close to it to even get a reading okay and it might not be a big reading so there is a difference between monitoring and sampling and uh that's why we must do environmental samples to find the dioxin and it doesn't sound like there is a lot of uh, devices that are being used by FEMA and EPA that they have on ground to do that. So that's a big question. Reporters can, need to continue to question it. So don't the local people. And then we need to find out what we do have for detection equipment for dioxin. And we need to get it there and sample, sample, sample. Any questions to that, Dr. Bleet? No, I think that that makes a good point. And the other thing that we do know that there are several independent groups that are coming in to do dioxin sampling and testing specifically. And that is going to be something that is necessary. One of the things that as a physician, I want to alert the listeners to share with friends and family and any contacts you have in that Northeastern region from East Palestine, Ohio, into Pennsylvania and the Northeast of the US. That is this symptom called chloracne, which is a very severe acne type rash that is a hallmark of dioxin poisoning. And one of the things that people are already talking about, there are two acute medical problems that people are already talking about, severe bronchitis. That's a chemical bronchitis. That's not typical of, of what we've been seeing during the COVID pandemic, but a chemical bronchitis comes from inhaling the toxic smoke plumes and all the, all the chemicals that are in that smoke plume and the soot particles. And it's very irritating to the lungs, particularly for people that have asthma already or had any kind of, of lung disease like COPD or pulmonary fibrosis. Those people are very hard hit. Or people who had damage to their lungs from having had COVID are especially vulnerable. And it's called acute inhalation toxicity or a chemical pneumonitis, chemical bronchitis. That's one of the early problems that people are already talking about. My question is whether they're getting adequate medical help for that. And then the second one that takes about three to four weeks. So we're in the window of time now 
as we suspect dioxin was a combustion byproduct, we're in the window of time when we would be seeing the outbreak of chloracne. And you can look it up as pictures on Wikipedia or online, look up the term chloracne, C-H-L-O-R-A-C-N-E. And it is an unusual form of acne outbreak, usually on the face, hands, and neck. It's very characteristic. It's very severe. It's like no acne you've ever had in your whole life, worse than anything that hits teenagers. And that is a hallmark sign early, three to four weeks after exposure of severe dioxin toxicity. So people who are having these rashes need to be tested, need to be properly evaluated for dioxin exposure. And there are some medications and nutraceuticals that can help mitigate the damage. That's something we'll talk about in the second half. So let's come back in the second half and talk more about the persistent chemicals the nerve agents, the dioxins, and what are some of the health effects that people may be experiencing. And we'll also talk a little bit more about how the dioxins actually enter the body. So if you know how it gets into your body, you can have a better idea of how to avoid it, particularly in an environment that is as contaminated as what we suspect is the case in that hard-hit East Palestine, Ohio region. This is Dr. Lee for America with the Whistleblower Report military segment with Major Mike Gary. We'll be back after the break. Listen to us every day on America Out Loud Talk Radio, 12 noon Eastern and 12 midnight Eastern. And also check out our website, www.truthforhealth.org, where you'll find many more resources on all of these topics. And you can file a vaccine injury report. You can download a free vaccine injury treatment guide. We'll soon have a dioxin toxicity and treatment guide available for you as well. You can go back and listen to all of our earlier shows discussing these issues. So we will be right back after the break. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. AmericaOutloud.com, seven amazing years. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty. America Out Loud Talk Radio, the liberty and justice for all. Hello, I'm Ben Marble, MD, and I founded MyFreeDoctor.com as a donation-supported, faith-based nonprofit with a mission to save lives by delivering free doctor visits to patients in all 50 states of America. MyFreeDoctor.com treats a broad range of health concerns like COVID-19, long COVID, sinus infections, urinary tract infections, rashes, medication refills, and more. So please visit MyFreeDoctor.com, where we're healing America one person at a time. 
trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's fast-paced digital age makes it tougher. You're not alone. Poor sleep affects over 70% of us. The CDC even labeled insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. Advanced nutrition company Healthy Cell created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deep, and wake refreshed. Unlike other supplements that don't work, REM sleep is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients, supporting all four stages of sleep using calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support. Over a thousand reviews with an average star rating of over 4.4 proves it works. Take back your sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. We know you love the versatility and portability of the Genesis Fogger, but sometimes you just want to set it and forget it. Well, we heard you. Introducing the UX4 HOCL Atomizer. This stationary unit quietly protects you and is perfect for smaller spaces. With over a quarter million units sold in Japan, it's now available in the United States. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to see the UX4 in action and receive a 15% discount on either Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. This message is from the Truth For Health Foundation. Hi, I'm Dr. Sam Sigloff, a family medicine physician and a major in the U.S. Army. The following are only my opinions. Service members are being coerced to participate in medical experimentation, with over 7,500 service members being discharged for refusing to participate. Many of them have lost their retirement and medical benefits. There are allegations that the DOD is committing medical fraud, violating the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, and violating the constitutional rights of service members. Strong men and women stand ready to defend so that you can sleep peacefully through the night. Now we must stand watch over the military so they can sleep peacefully through the night. Please get involved to help protect the military. This message brought to you by the Truth For Health Foundation. For more information, please visit truthforhealth.org. That is truthforhealth.org. Truth, the word for, health.org. Welcome back to the second half of the Whistleblower Report with Dr. Lee for America and Major Mike Gary, who is a chemical, biological, radiological, and nuclear expert, 25-year military veteran with 15 years as a Seaburn hazmat incident commander, specialty training in the military, very well qualified to speak on all of these environmental issues. And... America, make no bones about it. This is one of the most major, massive environmental catastrophes that we have seen in our lifetime. This is urgently important that you listen to some of our suggestions for what to do to mitigate the damage to your body, your health, and your environment. So, Major Gary, let's go ahead with some of the points you wanted to make about the persistent organic pollutants or POPs and the persistent toxic chemicals, what people need to be doing. What are some ways that they can sample their own environment 
to collect specimens? Yes, thank you, Dr. Vliet. Very good question. Okay, so what I'm understanding down on the ground there, detect oxygen levels in volatile organic compounds, uh, lower and upper explosive limits, okay? And uh, the volatile organic compounds is what I'm hearing from the EPA and FEMA officials down there. Okay, for the listeners, anytime you have a chemical that you can smell, if your nose smells it, it detects it, if you will, then that device, that PID or five gas, four gas meter will pick up a massive reading on volatile organic compounds. It will read in parts per million or parts per billion, uh, depending on what it's set in. And I'm seeing this is what they're going into people's houses with. And they're going in and they're saying, oh, no, VO no VOCs, everything's okay. Well, that's just monitoring. Okay, and it's only monitoring the air. For the listeners that are in that area, we're talking about chemicals. Uh, so dioxin, we're going to take worst case scenario. It has a double benzene ring, which makes it extremely durable. And for us in the chem world, it means it's going to persist. Okay, and it's going to persist for a while. And there is some discussion on whether sunlight breaks this down or, or slow or fast acting breaking it down. But this thing is built so it's going to persist for a while. And uh, so when you track in your shoe, your feet, right, you bring, you walk into your door, you should take your shoes off. That is one big thing that you can do and not track that mud dust through your house. So that's a preventative measure. Also, any filters that you have in your house, like say you have an air handling system or an AC unit, right? That filter most likely will be uh, have collected some of this dioxin and other chemical byproducts, and you should change those out. They're also a good sample. You should probably collect them very carefully, wearing gloves, and send them to a trusted place for sampling. Uh, just like the mud that's in your shoe pan or on the bottom of your feet is a good sampling place. This is the way you need to think. Um, initially, when that fireball went off, there was uh, chemical byproducts that were released immediately, like the phosgene and hydrogen chloride. Uh, those are probably long gone at this point, or they're in, uh, I think hydrogen chloride's heavier than air, so it, it rests down in valleys. There could be some valleys that it still may be present in. But for the most part, those are gone. The dioxin is going to remain. It's like if you think about herbicides and pesticides, right, uh, some of those products are, are designed to persist on the plants that you're putting them on. So if they are designed to persist, then that's another indication of exactly what you're talking about as to why it's so important that we continue to emphasize the need for proper testing and sampling. Correct. Yeah. So the people need to, uh, as they have people from outside that want to help them like us and like Aaron Brockovich, I see she's down there. They need to be open and do their own research and educating themselves. 
and uh, there's plenty of experts out there that want to get the information in the locals hands and listening to an Erin Brockovich interview done four days ago it's very interesting how she speaks to these locals um, nobody knows their situation better than they do okay and they shouldn't second guess themselves they should get with their neighbors confirm what they're seeing and feeling for signs and symptoms or or samples so the locals of Palestine need to note what and and that's why we're trying to help them with these broadcasts to understand what are some of the symptoms that <clears throat> can be occurring so that they know what to look for because I don't think that there's been very very good discussion to help people know what is likely happening and what are some of the medical things so let's i'll go down some of those concerns we've talked about the chloracne and we've talked about the chemical pneumonitis or bronchitis and so let's look at some of the other things that people uh, really need to be thinking about if you have any medical testing done, you want to ask your doctor to do a comprehensive metabolic profile and look at elevation in liver enzymes. Some of the changes metabolically can be picked up on routine blood tests. And for those of you listening, you can actually go to the clinical laboratory websites Quest Diagnostics, for example, and look at their self-service, request a lab test, and order some of these tests yourself. Neurologic effects, weakness, tiredness, lack of energy, particularly weakness of your arms and legs, muscular pain, nerve pain, changes in your sleep pattern, changes in perspiration patterns, loss of appetite, headaches, dizziness, loss of balance, difficulty concentrating and reading. These are some of the things that are subtle, but they're very real as manifestations of exposure to higher concentrations or persistent concentrations of dioxin. Now, the long-term health effects are things like major disruption in your endocrine system. That's all your hormones. It's ovaries and ovarian hormones for women. It's testicles and testicular hormones for men. It's thyroid. It's your pancreas. It's your pituitary. So all of these hormonal systems are disrupted. These are called gender bender compounds, they are called endocrine disruptors for a reason, because they interrupt and dysfunction, cause dysfunction in every endocrine system in the body. In addition, they are class one carcinogens. Dioxin is one of the most potent carcinogens known, and cancers have been well described in the Vietnam vets who were exposed to Agent Orange. So, 
I want you to be aware that there are the early effects that are going to be the chloracne, neurologic symptoms, changes in your thinking and concentration and focus, headaches, weakness, tiredness, loss of appetite, all of those things. And then you get into the longer range effects of endocrine problems leading to infertility, leading to menstrual irregularity in women and loss of sperm for men. There, there are longer range effects and then the carcinogen effects take place over a longer period of time. So Major Gary, further comments on what I've said Yes. Um, what I would like to add, um, which is interesting with Erin uh, Brockovich, she was talking about there was a moment of silence between those days I was talking about from the 3rd to the 8th. Everything kind of went quiet. And, uh, you know, with, with the previous president showing up last week, which definitely brought a political swing in help, I think. I think it did help. And we saw FEMA arise or come there finally. And uh, FEMA has brought, you know, 66 members that are there on the ground providing some type of sampling and monitoring. Again, I question the sampling and how thorough it is. But they were, um, during that press joint interagency press meeting that they had yesterday, they were talking about this TAGA, which is T-A-G-A, Trace Atmospheric Gas Analyzing. So with that, they're showing this piece of equipment off like it's covering all these volatile organic compounds. Well, as we were talking about, dioxin doesn't, is probably not going to give off a lot of VOCs. So this is something we must uh, keep in consideration. And uh, I do see more and more locals that are asking, or the, at least the local media asking, what about dioxins, right? And uh, are we sampling for those? And at that meeting yesterday, there wasn't really a de definitive answer on what they are doing and what the piece of equipment is that's going to detect it. And, uh, and if they've found it, come across it already. So I just wanted to link, you know, what Aaron Brockovich was saying on the ground four days ago with that interagency meeting. And, uh, you know, th the people there have a right to be skeptical. It definitely, <clears throat> when the officials were silent through those first four or five days, that definitely looks like a cover-up to the people. And uh, that needs to be addressed. If it's not, then we need to reveal the truth. Another thing Aaron Brockovich said that was, I thought, very wise uh, was the, the locals can handle the truth. We need to be totally truthful on everything we're finding at this point, where we move people back in on the 8th, and then we started to have signs and symptoms showing up in people. And, uh, you know, it was a couple days ago, I came across uh, this interview of this big burly man uh, who I'm sure had a big deep voice, but he sounded like Mickey Mouse, you know, uh, Again, I'm going to speculate what happened to them, but if you hydrogen chloride, which was probably one of the first byproducts, if you breathe that in, 
it creates hydrochloric acid in your lungs and in your in your air pathways. I'm not saying that's what happened to them, but it could be. So we moved them these people in ahead of the time we should have, and they've developed signs and symptoms. So the people have every right now to be told the truth and be filled in on exactly what's happening in the readings and the findings that we're coming across. I'm also aware of uh, the uh, FEMA and EPA doing uh, ACE, ACE, which is Assessment Chemical Exposure Surveys down there. So hopefully, uh, you know, this is a, in an effort to get the, the locals the truth and share the information. So this could be a very good thing uh, that they're doing down there. So I just want to put that out that even though I'm a skeptic that, you know, they've got the right processes in place and uh, they do have some very sharp people that I saw interviewed uh, during that meeting. It was the Mark Durnham, EPA uh, Region 5 rep. He's the one that is the regional response coordinator and he spoke extremely intelligently and he was able to explain it for what I call the layman. So I think that guy is actually going to be a key player in, in helping uh, serve the people down there. Well, so, and that's, that's really good to hear because when, when our team from the whistleblower report contacted Ohio EPA, the person we spoke with said that the only two chemicals they were testing for is vinyl chloride and butyl acrylate, neither of which have the toxicity anywhere close to the long-range toxicity and environmental persistence of dioxin. So I hope that we will see that. But there's another more ominous aspect to this entire situation that may explain the reasons that we have not seen the normal containment and evaluation and testing procedures be put into place. And that is that the EPA is deploying their Superfund team. And what that means is if they declare this whole area a toxic chemical disaster area, they confiscate the land and move people off of it into what is coming with the smart cities and move people off of their farming and agricultural production and their independent living into government controlled smart cities where movements of people and your freedom is dramatically restrained as we're already seeing in many cities across England and Canada and starting to happen in some of our larger cities here. And so we may be looking at the fact that there is a more diabolical agenda to why the detonation of vinyl chloride, knowing it would be a release of dioxin, was actually done, which makes that train crash and the derailment and then the explosion, it makes it a justification for the government to confiscate more private property and implement greater tyranny than what we've already seen. And that's something we need to keep our eyes on because once the EPA moves in and declares an area a Superfund site, 
a toxic waste dump, essentially, that means people have no choice. And something else I wanted to bring up, Major Gary, I understand that aerosolization of vinyl chloride was actually banned in 1974. And the legal definition of an aerosol means a suspension in air of a fine liquid or solid particles between 0.1 to 100 micrograms in size, which is produced by blast of heated air, exhaust gas, or rapid volatilization of a liquefied gas or propellant. Well, it seems like that is exactly what they did when they exploded those rail cars of vinyl chloride. They made it an aerosolized compound and the partial combustion, of course, produces dioxin. So why are we looking at a procedure that is, was banned in 1974 being deliberately carried out by the federal government directing the state governor to authorize detonation of the rail cars? And why are we seeing the Biden administration moving to ban lawsuits in East Palestine, Ohio, against Norfolk Southern Railroad? It seems to me that all of your questions about the failure to follow normal procedures are the basis for even more serious questions. Was this done intentionally to take control of a very highly productive agricultural farming area of the United States and get rid of the independence of the people living there? No, that's that's a very good question. That's all my questions. I mean, when you the agencies and first responder community, they have designed a whole process to avoid, you know, this uh, situation like this, right? It's called the incident command system. And uh, in this instance, I believe uh, it, it actually had to form what is called a unified command because you have multiple jurisdictions involved. You have whoever the first fire team was there in the highest ranking person. So we'll just call it fire chief. Again, these are, these are things I don't have down as facts. So this is speculation on my part, but there had to be a fire team that arrived. So whoever that fire chief or captain was, he would represent the local fire response. And then you would have uh, the company, uh, Norfolk Rail, right? They would have a company and probably hazmat guys that eventually showed up. And then you would have the state EPA show up. My guess is those entities all showed up and they would have formed what would be called a unified command. <clears throat> now, this can be done officially and where you start making an what's called an incident action plan, or they could have done it kind of uh, just verbally and operated where they thought it was going to be a quick response without paperwork. But the thing is, is from the Friday the 3rd to Monday the 6th, that's several days. 
you know, that's that's three and a half days, four days uh, from when the train came off the tracks to when we controlled that detonated. So you're building uh, agencies and response forces through that time. If there was an uncontrollable fire uh, concern, right? My guess is you would ask for uh, more and more assets, right? Uh, so if you felt like you couldn't contain this, right, the principle of hazmat containing, you would ask for help. And under the unified command, you would become more and more regimented. So you would be drafting up things like incident action plans and requests for, uh, for resources, all right? And this would go up to the state channel, uh, through state channels, uh, up to the emergency management agency up at the state level, and they would oblige them on whatever they're asking for. For example, there's an emergency support function number four, which is an increase of uh, fire uh, assets. We're talking large assets that would help cool the vinyl chloride tanks if that's what needed to happen. I mean, I've talked with professionals in my state that ran our Department of Environmental Protection, uh, which are retired. They said they could keep with assets at the ESF4, Emergency Support Function 4, they would get big, big tanker, uh, tank firefighting equipment that could keep those tanks uh, cool for weeks. So that would give you more and more time to think and act uh, accordingly, okay? So there's a way to buy time in this response is what I'm getting at. As you get a better asset, firefighting asset, you can cool the tank. It provides you more time to plan and act with the assets that you're going to have showing up. So that that was a method. And again, um, the incident command system is built to do this and handle it. So I, I don't know why we don't have any information on this, and that should be asked. Uh, the commissioner should ask that question. Where are these original documents in plan? Absolutely. Very, very good points. So, America, that goes back to the points we raised at the beginning. All of you listening and all of the people across Ohio, Pennsylvania, and that region of the country so dramatically affected need to be asking the question, what is the real agenda and what are they trying to do with creating a bigger problem than originally occurred? Making the problem worse by exploding the tanks makes no sense. It violates all past and all current procedures for, for hazmat response. So there, you have to ask the question, what is behind the curtain that the government is not telling you? Just like we've been lied to for the three years of the COVID pandemic, there are massive lies being told to the people of East Palestine, Ohio, when they are trying to get common sense answers. And we would just encourage all of you, keep pressing for the truth. That is what the whistleblower report is all about. That is our public service. 
And we put out a call to all of you listening. If you work in law enforcement or the fire department or the EPA or any government agencies, federal or state, please, if you know the truth and know what is being covered up that is risking lives and costing people the value of their homes and their, their, their community and their livelihood, please come forward as whistleblowers. We have resources through Truth for Health Foundation with legal teams. We have resources medically, scientifically. We understand ways to help you get testing. Please come forward. Send an, info, send an email to info at truth for health.org and ask for help reporting whistleblower information. Let us know what information you have. Let us know what some of the needs are. And we will work to create the resources to get you further information and ways to get help. We are committed to the truth. That is why the whistleblower report is airing every day at noon Eastern time with a team of experts to bring you the truth and solutions that our government is covering up. This is Dr. Lee for America signing off with Major Mike Gary for today. We'll be back again with more whistleblower reports for such a time as this.